Welcome back to the Glue Guys podcast. My name is Luke Bagoni, and I'm once again joined by my fellow co-host, Lee Folger. And we, once again, have to apologize for not releasing content recently, as for the second time, a person I live with was diagnosed with COVID-19. But after four weeks, yes, four weeks in quarantine, I am alive and well, and I cannot be happy to be back with Lee recording in what we hope is an excellent episode and one that provides interesting content through and through. So Lee, as always, how you doing? I am thrilled to be back recording with you, Luke. It's been a sad four weeks where I haven't been able to see my main man. Sad isn't even the word. It's like you think you have so much time on your hands, but in reality, you're just figuring out what to do with yourself all day. Like you can't focus on a task because you're just so bored. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just so much time seeing the same people and doing the same things over and over and over again. We could get into it, obviously, but that I, missed, would take a while. I missed you a lot, and I'm glad to have you back. It's exciting to be back recording. Moving on to the fun fact of the week. We know you've all missed it. Get some energy in that. Man. I've missed it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go. The fun fact of the week, courtesy of the lovely Maggie Hoy. There is one person whose final resting place is on the moon. An astronomer who worked for NASA had his ashes put into a probe that was launched and crashed into the moon in an attempt to find water in a crater on the moon. This podcast is off to a sad, sad start. I gotta say that. No, that's the coolest thing ever. How? What is cool? It sounds that's, like... That's the, hold on, the man, only I gotta person that. ever to have their ashes on the moon. Keep going while I reread this. That's the coolest thing ever. Objectively. Like, you can say... Your family can say you were... Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's okay, I... I I processed that as he died on his way to the moon, but I was almost no. like, that doesn't make any sense. Who would burn him? Like, what? Like, wh- no, I was no. wildly confused there for a second. That is that is actually pretty cool. That's that's one of the most unique deaths burial grounds, I guess, I've ever heard. Exactly. His name was Dr. Eugene Shoemaker. So, shout out to you, Eugene. Uh, may you rest in peace, and may your family brag all the time that your ashes are on the moon. Anyway, let's get into topics of the week. Now, we've obviously missed a ton of NFL stuff, so we're going to go over that. We're going to go over the past impressive performances from teams, the boring trade deadline. We're going to go over some of the moves that were made, the contenders and pretenders within each conference, and then some games to watch this week. After that, the NBA draft. While, yes, the Lakers did win the NBA championship, I think around a month ago now, we're approaching that time. It's a little under a month. The NBA draft is almost here. November 18th is the date we're recording this. We're recording this on November 5th. We're going to talk about the Hornets and the Knicks and who Minnesota is thinking of picking with the number one overall pick. And of course, we're going to have to get into soccer. Lee will obviously lead more of that talk. I'm sure he's very excited. But before we get into the actual NFL content we plan, I'm going to go on my rant of the week. What you got, Luke? Not really a rant per se, but it's about the New York Giants and how they must move on from Daniel Jones because, wow, I'm not a Giants fan. As our listeners know, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan, but this was the first time this year I've watched a Giants game through and through, watched Daniel Jones play quarterback, see how he does, and wow, I was not impressed at all. He was just utterly awful, and he's not the answer for the Giants moving forward at all. Now, you look at some of the throws he was missing on Monday night in that awful game they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, some of the throws you were missing, especially with Darius Slayton, they were pitch and catch. They were like backyard throws with your friends and family. And Jason Garrett, who is the Giants offensive coordinator, former Cowboys coach for the last 10 years, he called an excellent offensive game. Probably one of the best I've seen him call in his coaching career. 
as I mentioned with Darius Slayton, he missed him wide open twice. Two easy touchdowns. One of them that he just didn't even look at him. He threw a pick. He threw his first pick of the game, which for Daniel Jones, it's a turnover is inevitable week in and week out. He missed Sterling Shepard a couple plays later. I mean, the guy just missed so many open throws. And the picks, as I mentioned, they were just awful. They were telegraphed. It was just a non-NFL quarterback throw. The way just the way he plays week in and week out, I don't know what the Giants saw in him picking him at number seven overall. And then, you know, he has a chance to correct all these mistakes later on in the game. They tie the game, makes an excellent throw to Golden Tate when it was 25-17. He scores a touchdown, makes it 25-23, has an excellent chance. Get the two-point conversion, all is forgiven, go win this game in overtime. He's got Deion Lewis on an excellent play call by Jason Garrett. He holds the ball for about a second and a half, maybe even two seconds too long, which in football time is an eternity. He missed it completely. Play ended up being incomplete. There was some contact from Buck Safety, Antoine Winfield Jr., but it doesn't matter. There shouldn't have even been any controversy within the play because Daniel Jones should have gotten it there on time. Giants lose the game, and they fall to 1-7. And, and a roster that's that good should not be 1-7. Their defense is one of the better ones in the NFL this year, one of the more underrated ones. Blake Martinez and James Bradbury are having all pro-level seasons, yet this team isn't even in contention in the NFC East, which is saying a lot. It's a bad, bad division. And right now, it looks like, I guess you could say, a two-team race between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team. I don't even know if Washington can even be put in that. The Eagles are probably going to run away with that division. But with the Giants roster, they should be involved in that. And Daniel Jones is holding them back completely. It's one of those moves where when they drafted him, everyone was crushing their head. There was very, very valid skepticism. But it's one of those moves where you're like, there's no way that they didn't love him. And there's no way that they didn't see what they loved to think that he could be a great fit. So there's a certain point where you're like, it's so crazy you have to trust them. Where you're like, okay, this is so dumb from the outside that it has to be genius. And what, two years in? Mm-hmm. Year and a half in? Because they gave yeah, you by the ropes it, for the first while. It doesn't look like it's working so far. Like you said, some of the throws he misses, you sit at home on the couch and you're like, Damn, I wouldn't have missed that throw the, that bad. The, like, those are touchdowns. Those are game-winning throws. Those are the kind of throws you want from your top 10 first-round pick as a quarterback. And listen, he showed some flashes last year as a rookie. The turnovers were an issue, and it was mainly a fumbling issue. And you think that can be corrected with better offensive line play and just more awareness and more experience. But it's just gotten worse with him. There's been no signs of improvement. And that's my main point. The lack of development with the continuous turnovers tells us that Daniel Jones is not the QB of the future in New York. And... The position, I think, needs to be addressed this year in the draft because if they get that right, I hate to say it, but this Giants team, they have talent. And this draft is an excellent draft to find a quarterback. Rather, I don't think they're going to end up with the number one overall pick because I think the Jets are a lot worse and I think they're going to win a couple more games. I think the Giants could finish with four wins, but you never know. A guy like Justin Fields could fall in their lap. I was going to say, Fields could fall into their lap. Trey Lance, the FCS quarterback, I think, I always get confused. South Dakota State or North Dakota Dakota State? State. I think it's North Dakota State. Same as as Carson Wentz. Either way... They're going to have an opportunity, in my opinion, to take a quarterback in this year's draft. And, I mean, I know there's still eight games left for them, but based on these first eight, it does not look like, or in my opinion, it shouldn't look like Daniel Jones should keep his job. Daniel Jones right now looks like what people who hate Josh Allen thought he was going to be this year. That's a good good comparison. Daniel Jones, at any given moment, like, he could have all the time in the world. He could be outside of the pocket with no one within 10 yards. There is still Giants fans out there who are holding their tongue. He's going to turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Everyone at all times 
think she's going to lose the ball. It's fine. And it's you fine. can't turn the ball over that much mm-hmm. and win football games in the NFL. And this is a terrible division. Yeah. This would have been a great year for them to steal six, seven, eight wins. Yeah, and win the division. Yes. And literally, and, and, literally win with six wins. And it would have been a huge step forward for a franchise that's sucked for a while and that honestly was like, okay, is Jones the guy? We're going to make the transition from Eli to Daniel Jones. And this would have been a fantastic year and a augmented weird schedule with all weird these year. weird distractions going on for them to be kind of under the radar, not terrible. But as you touched on, it looks like at every level on the offense, Jones holds them back. You know how it is. Your teammates can't play to their full potential if they're always looking over their shoulder has our quarterback turned it over. Mm-hmm. You can't. You, you're not going to be there 100% mentally. Mm-hmm. It's in any sport, if you have a teammate who you can't rely on, you constantly have to withhold like 5-10%. Are we going to lose the ball? Do mm-hmm. I have to be ready to go the other way? Mm-hmm. And in the NFL, with such fine margins, you can't have that. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what the we'll see what the Giants do in the offseason, but if things don't turn around, they have every reason in the world to look for a guy in the draft. Daniel Jones, honestly, it's like you said, you're scared as a Giants fan that he's going to turn the ball over. It's funny. I still get that feeling with Josh Allen, to be honest. Every time I see him launch one, I'm like, oh my God, this is probably going to get picked off. But, <laughs> but anyway, moving on to the games we've missed, the action we've missed over the last couple of weeks. Now, the Steelers remain the only undefeated team in the NFL, and I think we did not talk about them once in any of our prior episodes, but... I think our personal reasoning for that was because they beat no one good. They beat in the Giants. They beat in the Broncos and Drew Locke got knocked out mid-game. They beat the 1-5 in five Texans. And then they beat the Eagles. And then they destroyed the Browns, who are middling as an average team right now, I guess you could say. So they had not had an impressive win. And then they go and beat the Titans in Tennessee. And then they beat the Ravens last week in Baltimore, which was certainly enough to me to prove that they are contenders, not only in the AFC, but for a Super Bowl. I think so, too. Um, Pittsburgh was always one of those teams that you always believe they have great coaching, they have great pieces, and they're a very well-run franchise. There's very little disarray in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, usually. Obviously, a couple of years ago with Le'Veon and AB there was, but quite frankly, they got them the hell out of town. Mm-hmm. They said, this is not what we do here. And no matter how you feel about the franchise or how you feel about AB and Le'Veon, they said, we think our team culture is more important than these two very, very talented football players. Mm-hmm. And... After that divorce, you look at who's right. You had Le'Veon, who went to the Jets. That worked out great. And you have A.B., who has had his... Playing his first game this week. Or not first game, but playing a game in a long time this weekend. He's had his very, very, very public struggles. Um, And it looks like, again, the Steelers have made a bunch of really good roster moves. And and Big Ben just hasn't seemed like he's missed a beat, though. Like, he looks like, not the young Big Ben, but he just... Looks like a guy who can easily lead that team to a Super Bowl. And then you look at the defense. They have playmakers on all three levels. Minka Fitzpatrick was an all-pro defensive player last year, was up for defensive player of the year. T.J. Watt is one of the best pass rushers in the league. And then Devin Bush went down, but they went and traded for Avery Williamson, who had a great career with the Titans before signing with the Jets and tearing his ACL. But it's still a great add at the trade deadline for them. So, And as you mentioned with their roster, we both have written down here, their ability to draft wide receivers is unmatched in the NFL. It's ridiculous. The guys that they have found who I wouldn't say slept on, but guys that aren't the marquee draftable players. And they fit perfectly Mm -hmm. in the last, what, decade and a half. You've had a ton of guys that 
I mean, when they get picked, everyone's like, okay, whatever. And then they're fantastic. I think he was trying to think of past ones. Heinz uh, Ward and all them. I don't know their stories, but yeah, you got you got Antonio Brown, Juju, Mike Wallace, Chase Claypool, Emmanuel Sanders was drafted by them. Probably, I think Heinz Ward was as well. I'm not 100% sure I'm going back that far. But point is, they've made excellent additions. Did I say Chase Claypool? I don't yeah. even know if I did. Okay, all right. Wanted to make sure I got his name in there. And then Deontay Johnson is no slouch as well. He was a rookie last year, and he's been excellent for them as well. So that franchise has proven without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, they are now fine. Last year it was a fluke with no Big Ben. They're well coached. They're serious threats in the AFC. And now... On to my team, the Dallas Cowboys. I don't want to hit on them briefly. The last time, because the last time we hit on them, Dak was healthy. <laughs> that is no longer the case. Dak, horrible injury, completely crushed his ankle, and he's out for the rest of the season, maybe sometime into 2021. But things have gone terribly since the injury. And whether it's Andy Dalton, Ben Gucci Danucci, Garrett Gilbert, even myself, it's been bad football. And the defense... Still giving up tons of yards. Nothing has changed there. Yes, they picked off Carson Wentz, who's been as much of a turnover machine this year as Daniel Jones has. It's not that impressive from this Dallas defense still. And they've gotten healthier. Still not good. And with no quarterback play, or I should mention, there is no healthy offensive lineman right now besides Zach Martin. But without a quarterback, without a healthy O-line, the skill players of CeeDee Lamb, Amari, Michael Gallup, Zeke, there's nowhere for them to run. There's nowhere for them to catch. It's just it's just not going to happen for this Dallas team. And I can easily see them picking inside the top seven this year. It kind of feels like it's a wash. Uh, again, it's a weird year, weird season. Not the worst possible year for the Cowboys to, quote, to more or less fall apart, to more or less fall apart. Obviously, it's hard if you're a Cowboys fan to watch this because they're not bad defensive players. Van Der Esch, Jalen Smith, they're really good players. But it's it tri- feels like tri- whatever is being tried with Mike Nolan is just... <laughs> Straight up, not Dude, working. Trayvon Diggs is like a 96 out of 101 ranking on PFF, and Mike McCarthy just like every week is like Trayvon Diggs is so excellent. I'm like he literally gets targeted week in and week out and gets burnt week in and week out. Yes, I know he had two picks, but again, Carson Wentz literally threw those balls not to him, but made a nice play on them. But doesn't take away from the fact that he's been burned multiple times for the really every game this season. And also, we're going to hear it as the draft approaches. Colin Coward mentioned it, I think it was today, yesterday. He said Dallas should look at drafting a quarterback. We're not going to talk about that right now. But that will be certainly an interesting debate topic as the draft gets closer. Maybe now, in the late rounds, if they really don't trust Dak to come back healthy, that's harmless in, like, what, fourth, fifth, sixth? Mm-hmm. But I still don't think that that team can afford to draft anything but defensive players for the first three or four rounds. And the last team I want to talk about before we move on to the trade deadline is the Miami Dolphins. Now, I think they can surprise some people in the AFC. The current situation is perfect for Tua Tagovailoa, who is already being discussed as a bust, which I found absolutely absurd. Like, yes, I can't lie, he played horrible in his first game. That, that was a terrible display from him, but the defense was awesome. I mean, they turned over Jared Goff four times. It was an excellent performance from them. But Tua's got an excellent head coach who's now proven he knows what he's doing. Brian Forrest is one of the elite head coaches, I think, in this league right now, and he'll prove that as years go by. And as I said, an excellent defense. you got Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. When he comes back, the cornerbacks on that team, they're going to be locked down. It's going to be hard for any team to throw on them. And they also play in a terrible division. Tua will get to play the Jets. The Patriots aren't horrible, but that's 
not the challenging game that it used to be. Two will get to play them twice. And the Buffalo is the one real test. That game, who knows, could be a battle for the division. I'm very excited. Who would have thought that? Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills battling for the AFC East. It really is 2020. But the point being, the pieces are in place and Tua could succeed and he won't be asked to do everything, which is huge for a rookie quarterback. I think we could see a very similar situation to what we talked about a few episodes to what we talked about a few episodes ago with Josh Allen in Buffalo, where he's got a coaching staff and a roster around him where he's not going to be asked to do too much, which is huge for a young quarterback. No matter how talented a young guy is, when you come into the NFL, if you're asked to do too much, you're not going to look good. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's what happened this weekend. Yeah, he didn't look great. But he's going to be in a situation with a great coach, as you touched on with Brian Flores, and a roster that is built to help him. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be able to ease himself into the NFL in this situation where realistically there's not a lot of expectations for Miami they're kind of going to be able to fly under the radar for a while and on top of that like I said in recent years it's been a pretty well-run franchise and it's starting to become an up-and-coming franchise in the NFL Mm -hmm. so like you touched on it's a pretty much perfect circumstance for Tua Tagovailoa. Moving on now to the trade deadline as we mentioned in the intro it was a complete snooze fest. We said Avery Williamson was dealt to the Steelers. That's a big get for them just because Devin Bush went down with the torn ACL. We also saw linebacker Quan Alexander go to New Orleans from the San Francisco 49ers. He's had some good seasons that could be a key piece for the Niners. And lastly, former All-Pro cornerback Desmond King, former All-Pro returner as well, was traded from the Los Angeles Chargers to the Tennessee Titans. That may have been necessary given how much Joe Burrow tore apart that Tennessee defense or secondary this past week. But not much else to go on over this trade deadline. No. The NBA trade deadline, way better. We can all agree on this. It's not too much to talk about. A lot of And the MLB trade deadline, even though we don't talk much about baseball here. That's always an exciting uh saying trade deadline. Especially with Steve Cohen, now the owner of the Mets. The, I can go to a whole hour episode about how excited I am for that. But we're not gonna do that. We're gonna move on to pretenders and contenders in each conference. Now, my NFC contender, maybe an obvious one, but there's a lot of really good teams in the NFC. The Seattle Seahawks. I've been turned off by their defense most of the season, but I've watched a lot of their games given they've been on primetime a lot. And yes, they've been torched by the Arizona Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys. And the list can go on and on and on. But I have faith in them with Jamal Adams coming back and Pete Carroll's coaching ability. But the main reason is because of Russell Wilson. I mean, the guy is playing at an absurd level right now. I think he's separating himself in the MVP race, and a couple weeks ago, I was fully on Aaron Rodgers, but Russell Wilson, I mean, him and DK Metcalf have established this chemistry. DK is becoming a superstar type receiver, like a Julio Jones-level wide receiver in the NFL. I guess his three-cone time didn't really matter that much, but (laughs) there's just no defense in the NFC that I think will be able to fully stop this guy. Yeah, the evolution of DK Metcalf, from them kind of last year with their offensive style he would have flashes he'd have big catches but they didn't really utilize him frequently and now you see they're fully kind of maximizing his strengths and they're getting him in space and holy shit he is so fun to watch he is so explosive he is physically dominant over anyone who could possibly be trying to defend him and it makes all the nerds who were trying to point at him and say he wasn't going to actually be good (laughs) because of a couple because of a couple nfl combine stats they look really dumb. It's their job. No mm-hmm. hard feelings. Sure. But, man, he is so fun to watch. And Russell Wilson having an explosive, explosive option like him going downfield 
is really, really cool. Now we know the answer when someone says, imagine like a DeAndre Hopkins had a Russell Wilson or a Julio Jones didn't have just Matt Ryan. I know Matt Ryan's a good quarterback, but you know, we often hear those comparisons that elite wide receivers maybe not having the best quarterbacks. And then with Seattle, with the Niners battling all these injuries, I think the Cardinals, although I've been on them all year long, I still think they're a step away from really contending with their defense. And the Rams, I'm going to get into them in a second as my pretender. There's there's my giveaway. I think this is the year Seattle wins the NFC West. And even with no fans, still a tough place to go and play. I think they can lock up that number one seed, that coveted number one seed. Because remember, only the number one seed gets a buy now. Number two seeds do not receive a first-round buy. So that number one seed is huge, and I think Seattle is in a great position for it. And as I just mentioned, my pretender in the NFC, the Los Angeles Rams. Jared Goff was once again exposed on Sunday. I mean, he had four turnovers, two interceptions. Their defense has looked elite at times, the Rams, with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. But then they have these head-scratcher performances where they lose versus San Francisco 49ers. Yes, Jimmy G played and I think Mostert played in that game. And Kittle, they were healthy. But the Rams defense gave up over 350 total yards. It's just you can't have those kind of games, especially when you're in the NFC West and in a tough conference like the NFC. Yeah, that division is so stacked. It just feels like they're going to come up short. Again, fun team to watch. Aaron Donald is always fascinating because you see offensive lines so you see offensive lines throw two, three, four guys at him because he's that physically dominant. But it just feels like sometimes the defense is just dragging the offense along and it feels like Jared Goff's kind of got his foot planted in the ground, which is just holding him back a little bit. Seems like a good guy, but it doesn't seem like he's the guy moving forward in LA, but I think they'll stick with him for the duration of his contract. Yeah, yeah, they have he's under a huge contract extension and when you pay someone that kind of money, I mean, they knew they were going to get some inconsistency from him because that's what he's been his entire career. Sometimes he looks like a top five NFL quarterback who can make these awesome throws, and sometimes he has no awareness of what's going on around him. So easy pretender for me, honestly, there in the NFC. My AFC contender, there's a lot to choose from, so I wanted to stem away from the mainstream of the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Steelers, who I already talked about, the Tennessee Titans. Now, I know they had a bad loss this week versus the Cincinnati Bengals, but listen, it happens occasionally. Joe Burrow has looked like an impressive quarterback so far. There's some weapons on that Cincinnati team. They signed a lot of defensive players in free agency. They're a good, they were a good 1-5-1 team, a good 2-5-1 team. So Ryan Tannehill is still the revelated quarterback that we know, and Derrick Henry is still the absolute wrecking ball that we know and love. And come playoff time, this team is so well coached by Mike Vrabel. We saw it last year in the run they had, and now they have another year under their belt. I think he'll be able to coach up that defense a little bit, especially with the addition of Desmond King. I think they'll be better in the secondary, but listen, this team will turn it on come playoff time. They're completely fine. They are still contenders for me. Everyone touches on it every year, but you think anybody wants to tackle Derrick Henry in November? Anybody wants to tear, anybody wants to tackle Derrick Henry in December? No. No one wants to tackle him anyway, but when it gets cold, are you kidding? <laughs> no. That man is a wrecking ball. That's literally, the Ravens based their whole offseason around stopping Derrick Henry. Calais Campbell, they went and got Yannick Ngakwe now. They, I think they signed Derrick Wolf. that may have been last year. But either way, they've committed everything to this defensive line so they could stop Derrick Henry because of what he did to them last year in the playoffs, more specifically what he did to Earl Thomas. I think the Titans were due for a letdown. I think the loss to Pittsburgh probably shook them up a little bit because... Mm-hmm. It was such a roller coaster of a game. Oh, yeah, they they were, get so close. They were on such a high horse. I mean, because they were criticized for the COVID, the COVID scenario, yeah, and then was they, a, they was beat a... down Buffalo, and everyone was like, Terrell Lewan was like, yeah. "We're the enemies." Like, no, you're not the enemies. Everyone was just angry at you because of COVID. Like, no yeah. one is sent. No, you're not the villain. Like, yes, you are the villain, but like, 
don't don't take on that villain. Don't take on that villain stereotype. Yeah, don't that, take on like, that us against the world mindset. Yeah, like, like, hey, you made a mistake. No need to be an asshole yeah, about it. Exactly. Just own like, it and play football. There's exactly. two separate things. But yeah, as you said, the Steelers lost. Then it took them back down to earth a little bit, and then the Bengals. It's just you know it, just, it happens. Like I said, it's the NFL. Yeah, teams lose games. Like the Chiefs lost to the Raiders. The Raiders yeah. are a good team, but they shouldn't beat the Chiefs. Exactly. It just happens. And moving on to my pretender in the AFC, this one was pretty easy. The Buffalo Bills. I mean. Josh Allen, outside of those first four games where he looked like he was a dark horse MVP candidate. Now, he's been the Josh Allen that analysts were scared of drafting. That this Bills offense, a couple weeks ago, they did not score a touchdown versus the New York Jets, who are far and away the worst team in football. They had six field goals in that game. Their run game is basically non-existent. Yes, I realize Zach Moss had two touchdowns versus the Patriots this weekend. Still, their run game is not very good. It hasn't been all season. And... Their defense isn't as strong as last year. That's the biggest thing for me. Last year, their defense carried Josh Allen, carried the offense to wins. Josh Allen, like Lee said before, with Tua Tagovailoa. He wasn't in the position where he had to will his team to win. Now, Josh Allen's in that position where he has to pick up the slack on his defense. Overall, the play just hasn't been there in terms of contending for a Super Bowl. They were very, very consistent in what they were doing for the first few weeks. And it seems like it's just wavered a bit. I think they're still a good team. But when you're going through contenders and pretenders, you do have to pick a team that consensus is still out on, but they're a good team. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, we I, don't, we're not saying they're a bad team, but we're saying they don't necessarily have the framework to win a Super Bowl yet. And part of this reasoning for me was, as I mentioned, some of the other good teams in the AFC. You got the Baltimore Ravens, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Tennessee Titans who beat down Buffalo. I mean, I think that score ended up being 43-16. to 16. There was something along those lines. It was a bad, bad game against Tennessee. So Buffalo, I have them, based on those four teams, they're not ahead of those four teams. So they're at best, in my opinion, fifth in the AFC, which makes them a pretender in my book. And that's going to just about wrap up our NFL talk. Just some games to watch this week. We got Seattle versus Buffalo. Buffalo could prove themselves. They're playing in Buffalo this week. I think not having Bills Mafia there or completely there definitely hurts them, but will be a fun one to watch there. Ravens versus the Colts. That's an electric offense versus one of the underrated defenses in the NFL right now, the Colts getting Darius Leonard back is certainly big. And then we got the Miami Dolphins versus the Arizona Cardinals. Tua versus Kyler. That's certainly a storyline matchup. Very excited to watch two teams who have overperformed so far battle it out this week. Now, we're going to switch to the NBA draft. and Let's go. Our teams are relevant for the first time in months. Let's go. Yeah, the Knicks, I guess, are relevant, per se, but they still dropped to eighth in the NBA draft lottery. I think that was my first rant of the week on the first episode. I believe episode. it was, Luke. It was, definitely was. And Lee, the Hornets have the third pick. What, what, who are, they, what are they thinking? What's going to happen? Like, So we'll touch on what experts think is going to happen. We'll touch on recent news, and we'll touch on what we think. So to begin with, what I think, I've always wanted LaMelo um, because, honestly... He's going to put butts in seats, and I think the kid can straight up ball. Um, I also think that he's everything that Lonzo wasn't offensively, and I don't think he's quite there defensively, but he's got a great body. He's got a great frame for what could fill out to be a fantastic NBA defender, especially on the wing because of that length and size. But uh, Bleacher Report, their, their most recent mock draft has Anthony Edwards Again, as a college basketball fan, I think that'd be a that'd be a win. Yeah, of course. No, I mean it'd be great. He, he was a, he was the consensus first overall pick. I know because as a Knicks fan, you know the most excitement I get out of watching them is looking up the mock draft years in advance. 
as a college basketball fan, I have a pretty distinct bias against bad teams and good players on bad teams. So, for example, a couple years ago, I hadn't watched Markel Fultz play once. And then, furthermore, I think I watched Ben Simmons play like twice in college. I didn't watch Anthony Edwards play a single time in college. Neither did I, yeah. So, again, it's these cases of good players, really good players, on teams that are either average or below average, and they just don't get that much exposure to me. Again, I'm not an NBA expert, but as a college basketball fan, I didn't watch Anthony Edwards play much because Georgia didn't make much noise in the SEC, and it was already a weird college basketball season. Uh, USA Today has LaMelo. I'd be thrilled. Um, it'd be fantastic. LaMelo with MJ in the front office, that's something. Lonzo and MJ. LaVar and MJ? Yeah, not, Lon- I, not Lonzo. LaVar and MJ. Jesus. Would be something to watch. It came out yesterday, though, that I'm going to try and pronounce this name without butchering it, and I sincerely apologize if I do, but Onyike, uh, Onyike, Onyika Okungwu is being looked at heavily by the Third Hornets. Third time's a charm. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I know nothing about him. Again, USC hasn't really been relevant in college basketball outside of producing a good player or two every year. I think the last... I, I could be completely wrong in this forgetting everyone. The last the last USC NBA player that comes to mind for me is OJ Mayo. So, since then, I think they've had DeMar. And, right, And okay. they've also had Kevin Porter Jr., who I believe okay, is a Cleveland Cavalier. Yeah, okay. Um, DeRo- so, so, DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, DeMar DeRozan. Um, Kevin Porter was really hyped out of high school and then just didn't deliver much. But, again, I don't know anything about Okungwu. He looks to be a unreal physical specimen. But I don't really feel like drafting big men has been all too successful for the Hornets in recent years. For me, what this means, if this is true, is that they are extremely sold on Devontae Graham as the anchor for their backcourt of the future. This, to me, means that they're very confident that Graham can be their point guard for years to come. Again, I don't know if that's true. He should have won Most Improved Player of the Year. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't. Whatever. Who did? Who who won? I think Bi. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's which is also I fair. Dis- I don't screwed that pick. He was. But a, he was it a should monster. have been Devontae Graham in terms of what the award means. He went from like four points a game and like an assist and a half a game, I think, to like eighteen and seven. So that means that Charlotte is confident that that's what he's going to deliver them every year. Game in and game out for the next couple seasons. Which, if so, fine. He looked great this year. It might have been because no one cared about the Hornets, so no one really paid attention, and that's why he was good. But again, if that's what he can deliver for the next couple seasons, great. Can the importance of this pick be overstated? Because it does not feel like the Hornets are here often. Prior to the lottery odds, the Hornets, I think, were what? Seven? Something around there, yeah. Something around there, and they end up at three. How important is it? That they nail this pick because you know teams like the Knicks are just gonna end up back here every other year and they've gotten tons and tons of picks wrong. But the Hornets, they're not here often. They need to nail this pick. I agree. I think it really depends on how the Hornets see themselves. Where if they see themselves as a team that's maybe a step or two away from being a playoff team, then they might go for fit. They might go for someone that they think really anchors down the defense, like Okungwu. I, I believe is. That's, that's exact. That's actually exactly. I hate. To, I hate to. Make you sound wrong. That's exactly what the Timberwolves did last year, right? And Agreed. they drafted Jared Colvin. And I don't think it worked. It, it did. So I'm they're, they're number one pick. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I'm saying I don't know what the right move is for Hornets. Like I said, it depends on how they see themselves. I don't see them as a team that's one or two steps away from the playoffs, at least not competing in the playoffs by any means. I think that they're still at the level where they should be going for the best slash most exciting slash most revenue generating player available. So... I wouldn't be mad at Wiseman. Again, I watched him play in college because Memphis had a ton of hype at the beginning of the season. I didn't watch Edwards, so I don't know much about him, but it sounds like he's a very, very good athletic scoring two-guard. 
who can score at all three levels. LaMelo Ball is just going to generate a ton of media hype, and he's going to change the way the team plays offensively, which, again, not a bad thing. They haven't mm-hmm. competed in a long time. Change could be good. Exactly. So if they took a Kung at three, it would kind of feel like same old Hornets where they make a move that's like, everyone's like, this isn't bad, but there was better things available. <laughs> so I'm not thrilled with the idea of that, but again, if they think that they're closer than everybody else thinks they are, and this is a piece that makes it work, and they think it's a the kind of last cog that makes everything come together, fine. I just think that they're wrong if that's what they're going to do. Tell me about the Knicks, what they got. Honestly, I didn't feel like I sh- had to do tons of research because the Knicks are in such a, I guess, bad position that that they don't really... I don't think they have an idea of who's going to be there at 8 because this draft is so unpredictable right now. And because... There's no clear top eight players. There's no clear this, that, or the other thing. They don't know who's going to be there. They may have to decide on draft night. I mean, everyone says on draft night, everything. that came out wrong. They, they may have to decide who they're picking, when they're picking. That sounds even stupider. <laughs> Their decision on picking a player might have to be made during the pick itself based on who's on the board. There's there, I'm, I'm sure they'll have guys on their board prior to the draft, but who knows who's going to be there? When you have seven teams picking in front of you, you can probably predict the top three or four, but that five, six, seven range... It's tough, man. It's like, pretty much up in the air. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you have no idea who's going to drop to. I mean, the Bleacher Report mock draft has them taking Isaac Okoro, who I believe went to Auburn. And then the USA Today one had them taking Killian Hayes from Germany, a guy who, that was the first time I've ever read his name. So, what do you think if Cole Anthony falls to New York? You want? I think that'd be electric. I mean, what, like, what, like, why not at this? I mean, you, you hyped him up to me a lot prior to the season starting, and he seems like he's got that as that New York swagger that everyone talks about. but He's you know, a well, dog. Yeah. I mean, He's a dog. I, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't watch a ton of college basketball. And Cole Anthony, a big name. I mean, I'm sure it would be better than Killian Hayes, honestly. That sounds like a guy. I can just see it in his name. Sounds like a guy who's got tons of potential and that he's 18 and will turn into something. I don't know his age. Don't come at me for a wrong fact. But that seems like the kind of person, it's kind of the typical European player. Tons of potential. He can turn into a stud or turn into a bench player on a playoff team in five years. Someone say Frank Nilakina. Just all these Euro guys. We're moving on. We're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> Looking more at the draft. Golden State number two. What are you doing? Are you trying to trade it? Are you taking a player? I'm taking a player because, more specifically, I'm looking at James Wiseman. The front office loves James Wiseman, and then you get another big with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins. Not great, but as a third or fourth piece, he's fine. So He is a big man who makes an immediate impact on both ends of the floor. I think the best option for them is to draft Wiseman. But I think, again, they may see themselves as one smaller piece away. They also might want someone who's going to make a more immediate impact. I think Wiseman's going to be a great big man in a couple years. But again, I don't know because the NBA is constantly shifting away from being big man dependent. You look at a guy like Boogie, he went from being someone who's one of the most dominant players in the league a couple years ago, given he had an Achilles injury, but now he's struggling to make a roster. You look at guys like Drummond, I, mean, I can go on, mm-hmm. unless you can shoot the three, you can't play. Mm-hmm. I think Wiseman's got some range on him, so that might make him a good option. And they do need a big man. They really need a big man. But they might see an opportunity to trade the number two pick, along with maybe someone like Andrew Wiggins, for something that they think can help them win now in a very, very, very competitive Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Now, before we move on to soccer, why don't you answer this quickly? You don't have to go into it. 
I know you said you haven't watched Anthony Edwards and college basketball is weird this year, but if you're the Timberwolves, who are you taking first overall? Anthony Edwards. I think LaMelo. No explanation. That's it. Anthony Edwards. So, we're going to move on to soccer. Lee, we're going to start with Everton. Go off. <laughs> They've cooled off. Um, since signing Richarlison, Everton have never won a game where he hasn't played. I think that is in part for the last couple of years due to how terrible the roster has been and how good he is. But I think this year he's such an integral piece to the way that the squad plays. Um, Everton are still in second. So like, it's not like the alarm bells are ringing and they're in like 12th. But again, it's so early where a couple losses and you're back down to 12th. So they've cooled off. The red card he got against Liverpool was really stupid. Really, 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 really stupid. And then Digne picked up a similarly dumb yellow red card against Southampton. Two moments that selfish is a harsh word for professional athletes who are consummate professionals, but it feels like neither of them were necessary and both of them negatively impacted the team in the following weeks. If they can beat a United team that's really been sputtering in the Premier League this weekend, then I think the form and the positivity are right back into the team. So it'll depend on how fit James is because he's had some weird, some have said, uh, testicular injuries. <laughs> and um, having Digne back would be massive. So if there's the energy back in the squad, I've got full confidence they can get a result against United, who have looked awful in the Premier League. But that I mean, they of, lost to who yesterday? Um, some Turkish team. Uh, Demaba scored, that's yeah, all I can say. Istanbul, like Basashiksa or something like that. Yeah. Um, who've been a club for less years than Demaba has been alive. Um, that was their first ever Champions League win. Um, Jesus Christ. Glory, glory, man United. Moving on, Liverpool with a striker who can actually score <laughs> is really, really scary. Again, Liverpool fans for the last three years have been defending Bobby Firmino as a defensive striker <laughs> who doesn't need to score goals because he defends and presses so well. Because he does other things. Exactly. And they can all, quite frankly, shut the hell up now because they've become even more terrifying by signing like probably Wolves' second or third best player. And all it took was someone who's just not going to miss easy chances the way Firmino does. Mm -hmm. And they look a totally different beast. Um, they're scary. So, again, if they can keep form up, it's going to take a lot to take the title away from them because City and United have both looked awful. Chelsea's not going to be able to do it. Everton aren't going to stay there the whole season. Spurs, maybe. That's the only team that I can think of as a That's contender at the moment. But it is frightening because I don't want them to become a dynasty. Uh, speaking of Chelsea, who I think are going to fall off a little bit, Timo Werner scoring for fun. A lot of people were doubting if he'd be able to do it in the Premier League because there's always doubts moving from other European leagues to the Premier League just because of the difference in style of play. But, hey, man, if you can score goals, you can score goals. It doesn't matter where you are, and he's proving that for sure. Uh, Edouard Mendy, uh, their new goalkeeper to replace probably the worst transfer of all time in Kepa Arvita Balaga, um, has fit in wonderfully. They've gotten five straight clean sheets to start a season for the first time since 2010, I believe is the stat, or maybe just five straight clean sheets. Um, he's been a revelation. He changes the way that that team plays. The way they looked with Kepa versus the way they look with Mendy is night and day. So Chelsea, a fun team to watch. Always good to tune in to check out our boy Christian Pulisic. Yeah, it's definitely fun. I mean, you got... Werner, you got Kai Havertz, you got Hakeem Ziyech, who's now returned to the starting lineup and instantly made an impact. You got Pulisic. There's a lot of players on that team that are just fun to watch. Offensively, they are a juggernaut. They have weapons galore. Even young guys like Abraham, Mason Mount, really, really, really full of very promising young talent for Chelsea. They got to figure out the back. 
and maybe the defensive side of midfield because they don't play Conte there. But again, they're going to be fine. They're a really good team. They'll finish top four because they have the squad depth too, and they're going to score a lot of goals. But having Conte on your team is must be just such a such a sigh of relief. I saw an interview with Paul Pugba a couple weeks ago, and he was asked, "Who is the hardest player you've ever played against?" And he's played against some pretty good players, and he took a while to answer, but he was good. I have to go. He just went, I go and go low. And I was like, oh my God. I was, I was, in my mind, I was like, that's not surprising at all because I feel like he's just such a pain to play against. And he's one of those guys that is so, like, not mean. Like, there's some guys it's fun to play against because you hate him and you're like, oh, this is going to be fun because I'm so <laughs> mad at this dude all the time because he sucks and he's the worst. No, Conte's just the nicest dude ever. He's so cute. Exactly. He's a exactly. sweetheart. So, but I yeah. touched on Pulisic. I'll parlay that into this most recent Eurocentric. Um, men's national team camp that's coming up. They've got two games, uh, one against Wales and one against uh, Panama. And holy shit, I have never been this excited about a U.S. talent pool. It's going to be exciting. I, I mean, I remember Lee and I roomed together freshman year when Lee was smashing our dorm room door because the United States did not qualify for the 2018 World Cup, which certainly was a sad, sad night. And Lee, Lee took it hard. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um... Probably one of the darkest days in my sports fandom history, um, which says a lot because I'm an Everton fan. But this young group of players is fantastic. All of our best players are playing in Europe, and they are so young. Gio Reyna is starting Champions League and Bundesliga games for Borussia Dortmund, playing with Jadon Sancho and Erling Haaland. And he's racking up assists. And he's fitting in. He fits perfectly. And something that Craig Berhalter touched on in the interview this week was the midfield four of Pulisic, Reyna, McKinney, and Tyler Adams works perfectly together. Because Adams is a wonderful DM. McKinney can go box to box. He's a great defensive player, but he's got a little touch around goal. Pulisic can put any defender in the world on their heels. And Gio Reyna is so creative. And he's so, so good in the final third. You're getting me excited now for for 2022. And another crazy thing is some of these young guys that the U.S. has coming in to this camp. For example, Yusuf Musa was the U18 English national team captain. And he had American citizenship and Berhalter got him to come into camp. He just scored his first goal for Valencia. Looks like a hell of a player. Chris Richards getting rotational minutes for Bayern Munich at 20, 21 years old. Conrad De La Fuente, Barca loves him. Again, another young guy. Sergino Dest, also at Barca. And then this young guy, one of the first a lot of U.S. men's national team fans will be hearing of him is uh, Chituru Odunze. He's a keeper for Leicester City. Another young guy. Looks to be the next in a great line of American netminders. The U.S. men's national team now has the youngest average age of any of the top 150 ranked teams in the world at 21 years and 300 days that's like a little bit older than me and it's how the average age for our squad has shaken out for this particular camp that's that exciting when you, extremely when you, exciting when you put it like that it the future of the u.s men's national team sounds incredibly bright and man it's a fun time to be a fan and they haven't played in forever the men's national team hasn't played in a while so we haven't seen this group get a chance to gel so Frankly, I'll be disappointed if they don't get two wins mm-hmm. against Wales and Panama. That that will definitely be exciting. I cannot wait for that. And we're now going to close out our episode with our Stuff of the Week ranked. And we're going to stay away from the sports this week because we've had a long episode. We've talked a lot about them. We're going to get into the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. We're going to rank them 
from five to one, Lee, start us off. Lee, should preface, is the huge, huge Marvel fan. I am borderline, not huge, not, not into it, but I'm aware of what I'm talking about. Exactly. Over quarantine, Luke kind of watched all the movies and would ask me questions occasionally, and I couldn't wait whenever he'd ask me a question. There were times when I'd be at home, and I would get this big smile on my face, and I'm like, what are you typing about? And I'm like, I'm like, Mom, Luke asked me questions about Marvel. She was like, oh, that's fun. I'm like, you don't get it, but it's fine. So for me, I'll get started at number five. I'll go classic, oldie but goodie, uh, the original Avengers movie. Man, it's so good. It holds up. It's such a great origin story. There's so many great lines. The Hulk line where he smashes Loki and says, puny God, when he gets asked about how he's able to control himself, he goes, I'm always angry. And even just the villain, Loki and the Chitauri, are a great, great, great antagonist for the movie. I won't go on too long because it's a spin a super long episode. We've been missing you guys for so long, but I love the original Avengers movie. I've probably seen it ten times. I, I did enjoy that one. It did not make my top five, but... Was an excellent movie. Number five for me, Guardians of the Galaxy. One of the first Marvel films I'd ever seen. I think first or second one I'd actually seen in theaters. And great cast, an excellent storyline. It was funny. Rocket and Groot, their, their chemistry is unmatched. I absolutely love them. And then you got Chris Pratt and Gamora, the love story there. It's, it's, it's a good mix of funny and serious. And it fits the Marvel storyline perfectly. So I'll get right to my number four. The Black Panther. This one was tough, and to only have that four was kind of hurt for me to do because I really did enjoy it. But the storyline was fantastic, and I think Lee's going to get into this a bit too. The overall setting, the aesthetic, just the scene of Wakanda was even better. And Chadwick Boseman, may he rest in peace, he was fantastic. And his partnership with Michael B. Jordan was... I, I said Groot and um, Rocket were unmatched. These two, much better. Uh, like, these two were... Simply amazing together, even though they played as enemies. I have this higher in my list, so I won't touch on it too much because I would ramble on for a while. I'll get into my number four, um, Captain America Civil War, the introduction of Spider-Man and Tom Holland. It had to be in my list because there's so <laughs> many awesome elements of this movie. It's kind of also the introduction of Black Panther. There's a ton of really cool small moments in this movie that make it fantastic. Again, pitting two beloved characters against each other a move that really worked out in the way the story flowed the kind of the entire dynamic of how they feel with Bucky oh, such a fun movie to watch and mm. again one of my favorites definitely a good one now for me number three I'm going with Thor Ragnarok the only Thor movie I've ever seen and it was just an odd film but it was it was like wacky almost but it was so enjoyable it made me laugh a ton and it didn't have much, I guess, of the superhero movie type vibe, but it still caught my attention in terms of the story and the final fight with his sister and just the like trying to get the people out. That's what happened, right? If I'm remembering correctly, it was just fantastic. I loved it. And I remember I was flipping through the channels in my living room at home and I was like, I remember I had things to do and I was like, I'm not going to watch this whole movie. And then it literally hooked me in and I stayed and watched the entire thing. The fight scene with Thor and Hulk is hilarious. Thor, like Hulk is... On another level in I know that him. scene. He's a friend from work. <laughs> Just an awesome movie. That's why it's my number three. I also have that movie higher up on my list. There's only so many spots left, so we'll save some spoilers. But my number three is Black Panther. Visually, it's my favorite MCU movie. Luke touched on it a little bit, but the way they set up Wakanda, the way they set up pretty much 
every visual aspect of this movie from the costumes to the setting to the architecture to the technology every single aspect of this movie was executed perfectly from an aesthetic standpoint the suit like even the little things like the technology that they had Missouri implement um with T'Challa and all the little tweaks that they could make and the thing with like the remote control car and all of these things that were so small but you're like man this is cool the entire time you're watching it Chadwick Boseman was fantastic perfect Black Panther my hope is that they make the Black Panther Zuri in the movies going forward obviously may he rest in peace that was a very sad night for all of us Mm -hmm. what an amazing man Michael B. Jordan was a fantastic killmonger he really 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 fit the role Apparently, he did method acting for months ahead of time. So, he was walking around acting like Killmonger for a while. Can't imagine what it must have been like to run into him. But (laughs) I'll move forward to my number two was Thor Ragnarok, like I touched on earlier. It's just so damn funny. Like, every single aspect of the movie was hilarious. And then bringing in Hela, she was such a good villain because she was just unapologetically terrible. Just... (laughs) so happy to be so damn evil and that's what you need sometimes from a good villain and she's so powerful just everything about that movie good guys bad guys setting comedy was perfect and like luke touched on you're laughing the whole way through i don't even know exactly why i love it so much but it's it just hits home it's awesome it's It's a great movie uh for me number two uh, I'm just going to say it's Avengers Endgame. Lee will get into it oh, Jesus in a little bit, but it is my number two. This makes no sense, but yeah. whatever. Yes, it does. No, it does. The fact that you didn't even have my number one on your list is baffling in itself. Now, I'll get into my number one. Number two for me was Avengers Endgame. Number one in terms of movies, not because I think you have, I think it's because of the order, the way they came out. Infinity War, I enjoyed more. Like, it was just an amazing film. I didn't keep up with Marvel for a long time. I didn't keep up with Marvel for a long time, and this film put me back on it. The journey of Thanos getting all the stones with Cytamius battle scenes going on in Wakanda. Cytamius. The journey of Thanos getting all the stones mixed with the simultaneous battles in Wakanda and Titan, and Thanos just talking to them like as if like I'm going to ruin all of your lives now, and there's nothing you can do about it. And them almost getting the gauntlet off, and then Chris Pratt freaks out, and in Wakanda they're battling all these just it's it's just insane that movie was crazy and then he ends up getting them and it's so sad but you know what's coming next you don't know exactly what's going to happen in endgame but you're left predicting what's going to happen in the end i love that thriller stuff where you're questioning what the ending is going to be and infinity war set that up without infinity war none of that can possibly happen and it was just through and through it was so freaking good like oh my god i loved it so much my favorite battle scene or battle segment of the entire MCU is from Infinity War. Thank you. When Thor comes in with the new hammer and um, Mark Ruffalo or Hulk, who's in the giant Iron Man suit, just starts laughing and goes, you guys are so screwed now. And then he comes in, give me Thanos. That's what he said. Bring me Thanos. The immediate battle scene after that is arguably the coolest fight scene in movie history. So, I don't hate Infinity War. I, Again, this list was so hard to make because I could have included a top 15 because I love all the MCU movies so much. It's not that I don't like Infinity War. It's that I love 
the original Avengers, Civil War, Black Panther, Ragnarok, and Endgame that much. So I love Infinity War. It's one of my favorite movies, but it's just I love these movies just a little bit more. So that transitions nicely into me. I have Endgame at one. Which I 100% understand. Like, most people would. But for me, personally, I just loved Infinity War. That's I, fair. I, That's I, very I enjoyed fair. it through and through. It was just... Because that was also the first of the Avengers movies that I'd seen. So, just catching on to the whole story. I remember after I saw Infinity War, I asked you so many questions about that. So I was like, what about the first two movies? What happened there? What? What happened? And you're like, you just gotta watch them. I'm like, alright, well, I, why don't you just tell me? <laughs> so, I love Thanos. And that sounds probably weird, but Thanos is probably the best villain ever in any movie series. You could throw in Darth Vader, you could throw in Voldemort, but I think Thanos is truly great because he's almost an anti-villain because he thinks what he's doing is right. He thinks everything that he's doing is what is best for the entire population of the universe, which adds an element that I think is very, very unique, and I think it's part of what made these movies do so well, where... He thinks he's doing what is right, and he's trying to make everyone else see it. And then he gets to a point where he's like, I can't make them see it anymore. I'm just going to kill them. So I think it's the best superhero movie ever. I think it's one of the best movies ever. And I think from seeing that movie in theaters on opening night, that is the best environment I've ever been in in a movie theater. The moment where Captain America picks up Mjolnir, the entire theater freaks out. It's so, so fun. And... I think that's the most excited I've ever been to see a single movie in my entire life. And it delivered to the absolute maximum. I think the kind of story arc of having Tony Stark ultimately be unselfish, which goes against everything that the preconceived notions are of him. Like, everything about it was so, so, so damn good. The scene with the circles being spun by the monks from... Um, Doctor Strange, huh? When they come back in, yeah. When they come back in, that's like the yeah, most was, electric that, moment that, I've ever witnessed. I've ever witnessed in a movie theater. I will give you that. That was with the Avengers music starting to play. Awesome. Oh, Lee, I'm, I'm gonna cut you off because we will hit over an hour if if we kept talking about Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: Endgame. So that's actually going to conclude this episode of the Glue Guys podcast. We hope you all enjoy as. We had a ton of fun doing it. Hopefully you could tell. And be sure to tune in next week. Thank you again for joining us. And have a wonderful and safe rest of your day. Thanks so much, y'all. Thanks for tuning in.